What is up, everybody? My name is Juan Perez, and welcome to the First View Podcast. This podcast hopes to create a platform in which minorities can talk about their journeys and share their unique stories. These are individuals who have had to overcome obstacles and are achieving the improbable. Much like you and I, our guests are striving to reach their goals and to help others. Our hope is to be able to inspire and motivate the next generation of minority leaders. Thank you for listening and supporting minorities everywhere. If anyone can tell you about the value of hard work, it's Brandon Roll, our podcast guest today. Brandon is a recent Cal Poly grad that was somehow able to major in political science and minor in ethics studies, anthropology, geography, and French. With an average 20 plus units a quarter and finishing above a 3.85 GPA. With a future of law school ahead of him, Brandon shares his story as a cisgender heterosexual black man and a firstborn son of immigrants. Listen into the podcast to learn more about what kept Brandon going through all those long nights of studying. All right, what's up, everyone? I'm super excited to be here with my WOW leader that was at Cal Poly, um, who actually I had as a mentor. So what's up, Brandon? How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. So, I mean, let's just hop right into it. Yes, yeah, so my name is Brandon Roll. My pronouns are he and his. I'm from San Jose, California, and I recently graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science. Um, so I majored in political science, had a pre-law concentration, and also happened to minor in ethnic studies, anthropology, geography, and French. And I'm the firstborn son of a French father and a Grenadian mother. What's the, what's the story of, you know, your parents coming to America? The story of my parents coming to America. So as I said, my dad was born in France. He was born in Bondy, which is in the suburbs of Paris. But unlike the United States of America, the suburbs are in, in France tend to be where minorities live. So it's kind of an inverse where, the, where whereas the inner cities here tend to be filled with minorities, the suburbs in France tend to be filled with minorities and vice versa. Um, yeah, so he's, he's from Paris, France. Then my mother's from Grenada, which is an island in the Caribbean. And they both met each other when my mom was visiting um, Paris, France with one of her best friends. And then they met in just like a true love story. They decided to marry. They came to the United States of America. My dad only had like $100 in his pocket. So he didn't come with, with much money, even though he was college educated uh, back in France. And he started his own business here, computer businesses. And he eventually worked his way up to work at places like Sandisk, and then later worked at Facebook. And then my mother's worked in pharmaceuticals um, for as long as I can remember. Um, but yeah, those are my parents. Um, settled down in San Jose, California, had me, um, their firstborn son, and then my little brother. And before their marriage, they each came with kids of their own. My mom came with a daughter, and then my dad came with an adopted daughter. Nice. So yeah, let's just jump right in. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your achievement. So my achievement is graduating early from Cal Poly Summa Cum Laude. And Summa Cum Laude, that's, um, at least for Cal Poly, 
we had to have a minimum of a 3.850 uh, Cal Poly GPA. And I was able to achieve that. So, I mean, the biggest question, which is, uh, how did you achieve it? And maybe why did you? Yeah, so I'll start off with the why. Um, so, I decided to graduate early, but before I even stepped foot on Cal Poly's campus. I knew I took AP classes throughout my whole entire high school career. I don't really know what it would have been like to be in um, non-AP classes, so I was always surrounded by the same the same people every year in high school. And with those AP classes, I knew that they would put me at an advantage in a way where I wouldn't have to um, take as many units of credit as other students who didn't, who weren't as fortunate as me to have those opportunities in school. So, um, and I wanted to graduate early because I want to go to law school. That's my goal right now in life. I'm actually current, currently studying for the law school admission test. I have it on June 15th. And I wanted to know that I want to go to law school since the summer of my junior year of high school. And as we all know, law school is infamously known to be expensive. So I figured that the best move for my life would be to go to the most affordable school that I got into for undergraduate, get good grades, leave early, and then crush my graduate applications. And I honestly didn't plan on making the lifelong connections that I've made, like with you, for example, and didn't plan on becoming so involved on campus, like becoming an orientation leader or any of that stuff. My mindset coming into Cal Poly was get in, get out. Next step's law school. That's really what we want to do in life. And then tackling the how, um, it's really through careful planning and research. Because as you know, Cal Poly has a mandatory orientation program called the Week of Welcome, where hundreds of orientation leaders are sort of tasked with carefully planning um, a whole entire week that's supposed to introduce a group of 10 to 20 new students to campus culture invent all the resources that the campus has to offer. And during my week of welcome, which was in the year 2017, after looking up the hours of operation and the location of the, Cal the College of Liberal Arts Advising Center, which actually happens to be in the maze where all the College of Liberal Arts faculty officers are housed, um, I seeked out guidance from one of those advisors. And from the start, I told them that, like, I was like, hey, I plan on graduating in three years. Um, can you help me? And they were super helpful. They printed out a, a flowchart for my major of political science and a whole curriculum sheet. And then they went through my Cal Poly profile and they're like, okay, you have these AP classes. And then they checked it off one by one, one by one. So coming out of that meeting, um, I knew that it was indeed possible to graduate in three years. And even if they didn't let me know it was possible, I was, I was gonna do it one way or another but it definitely made me feel good. It's like, okay, it's a realistic goal um, to graduate early. And then later in the week through the prodding of my orientation leaders at the time, I crafted my, um, my schedule for freshman year through Poly Planner. At least that's what it was called back when I was at Cal Poly. And I actually went above and beyond and planned out what my whole academic life would look like for the next three years. So I planned it from my first week of school all the way until what I thought would be my graduation in spring of 2020. And I did it by looking through the course catalogs and at the different course offerings and things obviously changed. Uh, classes were no longer offered certain quarters because of different situations. Um, I picked up minors. Like I said, I picked up three minors of ethnic studies, anthropology and geography and French. And 
added those classes. But yeah, through it all, I I updated my poly planner to keep my um, schedule to to make sure my schedule was reflective of what I was actually going to be doing uh, to reflect my new outlook. And the funny thing is, despite picking up three minors, I graduated a quarter earlier than I had ever planned. So it was funny how that worked out. But yeah, I did it through careful research and planning. It was definitely um, an intentional an intentional thing on my part, and I took the initiative to do it. So, I mean, I know I've known you since last year, and I know that you take a lot of units in one <laughs> Since last year? You've known me for two years now. Two years. More, more than since last year, more than since last year, because, wait, no, you're only saying it, yeah, last year. Damn, you correct me. Just like always. Uh, <laughs> but I, I know that you were taking a lot of units per like each quarter, like upwards of 2022. Can you talk <laughs> about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually didn't take 20, 20 units every quarter. My first year, I took 17, 16, and 16 units. But for as long as you've known me, I've been taking at least 20 units every quarter. And um, the, the norm is 12 to 16 units for most students. And a lot of people, when they ask how many units I'm taking, they're like, whoa, that's wild. 20 units, how do you manage to find that time? But for me, everything in life comes down to perspective. And I'd be taking 20, 26 units one class, but it wasn't necessarily hard because I've been interested in every single class I've taken at Cal Poly. And I made sure to fashion my quarters in a way where things, related with each other so like one quarter i'd be taking um politics of poverty along with um ethnic studies classes and then the same content would be covered the same material would be covered in the same classes and it would help uh every class and they'd all kind of blend in together and like like i was saying with the 26 unit quarter i was taking a french class too and i'm fluent in the language so it wasn't necessarily as hard for me as it would have been for other people who are actually new to the language so uh, everything's about perspective you, you frame it and an important thing for me was remembering my why and my why is to go to law school to hopefully be able to help out people in the future so it's all about reminding myself why I'm doing the things I'm doing and another thing that goes with perspective is a lot of people think things in life are mandatory but when it comes down to it very very few things are mandatory like homework assignments for example People will stress themselves out um, when if you don't turn in a homework assignment, you'll just get a reduction in grade. Maybe you might be able to ask for an extension, but it's not the end of the world. So you have to remind yourself about what your priorities are and how much you can take on at a time. 20 units is definitely not for everyone, but it worked for me. Right. And what were some of the obstacles going through it and like graduating in three years? What were some of the obstacles going through it? Um, <laughs> the obstacles, there, there, there were a lot of obstacles just in terms of my identity being on a predominantly white um, institution's campus as a black man. And then also academically with all those course offerings changing quarter to quarter, um, professors changing what they're teaching, the website's not reflecting what's actually offered in terms of courses, um, yeah, uh, a lot of obstacles, but big thing was being able to adapt um, 
to those changes and not having such a set thing in your mind where you're not, where you're resistant to change because as some at one point or another change will come your way and you have to be able to handle it in some way so I, I remember I'd I'd be super um I'd, I'd be ready to take a whole bunch of classes because the names fascinated fascinated me the topics were interesting like African-American history from 1865 to whatever year but then the class wouldn't be offered and I wouldn't get mad. I'd be like, I put this in my poly planner two years ago, right? I'd, I'd just see what else was out there and what else interested me and would adapt accordingly. And then being on a predominantly white institution, a big thing is finding your community and different support systems. So whether I wanted to or not, I'm the type of person who gets involved in a lot of different things. So even though my mindset coming to Cal Poly was get in, get out, um you're not here to make friends right you're here to get an education i definitely made a lot of friends like you for example and put myself in those positions of leadership to influence people like through core creating opportunities through representative engagement or the cross-cultural cross-cultural experience cce of wow um yeah and those 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 things are just important to me building community because without community it's much harder to go through some things yeah so just finding those support systems and you mentioned something uh you know being like you're about your identity can you talk a little bit more about how that influenced you and in getting your your achievement yeah in terms of getting my achievement um even beyond that my my identity influences everything in my life because it's how i literally physically move through the world um and going to cal poly i think now cal poly cal poly's reputation has been has has changed over the years uh but it's remained a predominantly white institution and when i've and when i was applying to cal poly um i'm as i said uh i'm a black man i'm a cisgender heterosexual black man and applying to cal poly i knew its reputation beforehand i looked up the stats, I saw that the black population was 0.7%, so less than 1%, less than a 1% black population. And I looked up where to get my hair cut, all this type of stuff before ever attending Cal Poly. And it wasn't the most, I wouldn't say it was the most ideal situation for someone who is black, but the mindset I had was if I don't, go here if i don't make a change who will like if i don't go who will and sometimes you need to go where you're needed in order to open the gates for others alongside you and beside you and and behind you um yeah so how did my identities influence my achievement i mean a whole set of assumptions come when you're a black man on a predominantly white campus um, whether it's professors, when you're in their class, um, they have lower expectations of you, or just being in the community, walking to your car late at night, um, and people being afraid of you, that stuff definitely has an effect on your psyche. Um, a big thing with me, though, is I've, I'm, I'm an extremely confident person just in myself, so I've never let that kind of stuff deter me, even though it's definitely important and affects people. Um, 
for example, in class, um, what class was it? Oh yeah, it was my it was my very first year in college. Um, because during your first quarter at Cal Poly, they block all freshmen into classes. And <laughs> another thing about me is I don't necessarily like to follow the rules. So I looked at my course off my 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 schedule. And I saw some of the classes I took, went on the course catalog. I'm like, okay, what is this about? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. This sounds a lot like what I did in high school. So then I talked to the advisor, like, oh, yeah, you're right. You shouldn't be in this class. Um, we'll remove it because you tested out of it. And then they put me in a different class. And then I was moved out of four-unit class or one-unit class. So I was like, okay, I can pick something else up. So I went on you know, the political science course catalog and looked at what interested me and what I could take as a first year and saw the class post 245 judicial process. Um, so I decided to crash the class <laughs> as a first year. And this was during like the second week of school too. So um, people already have their designated seats, everything. But I just walk into the class. I'm one of the first ones there. So I just pick a seat in the front, like at the wall. And then as the class is starting, I can tell that everyone's like, is this person supposed to be here? We haven't seen him. He doesn't look like anyone else in the class. But I, I stuck it through, stayed in the class, was able to get a permission number. And I, I didn't even realize that I was the only first year in the class. Everyone else in the class was at least a second year. And I ended up getting one of the highest grades in the class, if not the highest grade at the end of the quarter as a first year. So even though People had different expectations on me, eyes looking at me like, is he in the right room? Is he lost? I knew that I belonged um, there. And yeah. Talking about like where your achievement has led you, which is like on a path to go, to be able to go to law school, right? Um, why, why law school? What's like, what's your plan with that? Why law school? What's my plan with that? Um, to make money? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so what's funny is, uh, growing up, my favorite subject in school has always been history and going through high school, people knew what they wanted to do, um, in college and university, things like that. I had no idea, idea until the summer of my junior year. And that's when I went on tours, um, to different schools all along California and on the East coast at different schools. And it just came out of nowhere, um, what I think I'd want to major in. And it was political science. I did research. Um, it wasn't political science necessarily, but it was social sciences, like maybe poli sci, maybe sociology, different things like that. And then when applying to Cal Poly, since you have to declare a major, I looked through the course catalogs, see what classes I would have to take if I were to actually become a student, and saw that political science um, aligned with most of my interests, and then picked up those minors to really um, complement everything. Um, I chose when I was choosing my major, it was always with what's, what's next after that. Right. Because a lot of people go to college or university for a job and I've never been the type of person to focus on making, um, monetary gains or anything like that per se. Um, so my, my reason to go to law school is the law is important in so many different ways and just being a a black person, just all the different ways the law has disappointed 
um, the broader black community or imprisoned us in shackles, different things like that. That's what's made me interested in pursuing the law. And I want to go to law school. One of the selfish reasons for that is so that if I'm ever put in a situation where my life is threatened by police, anything like that, I know my legal rights and I'm able to protect myself because being in, growing, growing up in areas that are mostly white, you're confronted with a lot of different situations. And um, my dad lives in Los Gatos, which is a predominantly white town. And it's a, it's a wealthier town too. So my dad has what a lot of people would consider a nice house in um, kind of like a hill region. And all of our neighbors around us are white. And things that would be fine if a white person were to do it, like drive up the road to our house, are seeing totally different when I do it or my dad does it. If when I'm driving, um, the neighbor's like, whoa, slow down. I look at the speed, I'm going like, what, 15 miles per hour when a white guy just zoomed by at 30 miles per hour. And private roads also don't have a speed limit, so <laughs> just, just a bunch of situations like that. And, like, my dad even, when we first moved into the house, my dad introduced himself to all the neighbors, like, hey, my name's Eric, this is my house right here. I'm not here to rob anyone. I bought this house. Like, it's, it's ridiculous how how life's different for people of color and black people more specifically. And then even just playing basketball out in my front yard, people gave me funny looks as if I would drive up a hill to play basketball at some random house. Like stuff makes no sense. Um, so a selfish reason is being able to defend myself. And then just more than that, being able to protect other people who look like me and people with similar experiences. And that goes more broadly to underrepresented uh, people and people of color. Do you have a certain like instance that kind of like exemplifies um, what you're scared of that like kind of you think about more so than any other experience? That I'm scared of? Um, Not scared of, but like you've been through that is just like- Yeah, so fear is definitely on the minds of, I'd say, a lot of black people just living in um, a white supremacist society like the United States of America, but just living life at the age of 21 years old. It's sad to say, but I honestly don't fear death because of all the situations that confront black men. So as, as a kid, um, like a, a lot of, the way I am is entirely shaped by me being a black man or a black boy, a black male identified person. Because growing up, while um, people in high school would drink out parties, do drugs, smoke weed, things like that, that a, a lot of people do and don't get busted or anything like that. And there'd be situations where cops would show up to parties and the cops would be super nice. He'd be like, okay, we'll give you like, 10 minutes we won't arrest anyone but like turn turn the music down and all this type of stuff i knew that it would be super different if i were to be doing the same thing and that my experience wouldn't be the same so even 
silly things like TPing, right? Like I went and TPed uh, this kid's house with my group of friends. And the guy we TPed ended up being one of my best friends later in high school. But his parents came out with the cars, like headlights on, and they were like chasing us and everything. And then the group's majority white. Um, they're, they're all running. They're finding terrible hiding spots. And then my, one of my friends, Diego, he's the only other person of color. He's Mexican. Him and I are like, we can't get caught. Our lives are very different from yours. So we hid underneath the car until it was safe, safe to get out. Um, like I'm telling you, the other people's hiding spots were not good. One person hid in a bush. A car was stopped there for like five minutes, but they didn't do anything to that friend of mine. So just situations like that, that I always had to be aware of. And growing up with a younger brother too, who's also a black boy who would grow up, grow up to be a black man. He got into BB guns, right? And Nerf guns. Like I was into Nerf guns too. We played with Nerf guns in houses, but he got into BB guns. And one of our good friends was a neighbor down the street and he was also into BB guns. So he would just be walking down the street with a BB gun. I'm like, Miles, my little brother's name is Miles. You can't be doing that. You have to put it in a backpack. The same, it's not the same thing for you. Colin, our neighbor at the time, he can walk down the street with a BB gun, but you're black. You can't. And it, it would be raining. We'd be outside. He'd want to put his hood on. Like you can't put your hood on. You just, you just can't do those things because people will see us as a threat. People will see us differently. Um, so the onus was definitely on me. Um, as a big brother to protect my little brother from just ever being encountered with any type of unnecessary situation for just living his life. And it's a terrible thing that, that, that I even thought to do it, that black people, that people of color have to do those types of things, but our lives are very different and the experiences we face are different. And growing up, growing up past that, I've definitely changed because when back in the day, I honestly did fear death and I feared my life being cut short just because of who I am, because of my identities. That's no longer the case. And it sounds bad, but my mindset's like, okay, if I die, I die. I no longer care if I wear hoods outside, if I wear them inside, I don't care because it's just, I'm just trying to live my life. And now I'm trying to go to law school to just help people and change the status quo. That's what it all comes down to. Life can't get better unless we help the people at the bottom. And a lot of people think that if you help people from the bottom, it's differential treatment. Like, oh, why are you helping them? We live in an equal society. Why don't you do the same thing for me? It's because their house is on fire. Yours isn't, so your house doesn't need the water. And if you help someone at the bottom, everyone's life improves in the end. Um, but yeah. That's, that's that's a little bit of it it's a lot yeah it is a lot and i and i talking to you right now like i feel like i feel it like i feel kind of like the passion and i i feel what you're trying to communicate although because i don't have your perspective right mm -hmm. even though you are a person of color it is very different being very a black different. person specifically right right so, I mean, moving on, because like I said, I think that you have a, an amazing story of like why you want to, why'd you want to graduate early and like why you want to go to law school. And, and it's a story that I think a lot of people want to have is simply like at the bottom of it is helping others. What would you yeah. tell someone who is in your position of like 
wanting to like do better in school or graduate early and wanting to help others in their life? Oh yeah. What I tell anyone, well, first of all, I wouldn't ask anyone to replicate exactly what I did because you can't unless you go to the exact same school, you came from the same city I did and you have my life and no one, no one else has my life. Um, so everyone's tracks going to look different and there may be some setbacks. There tend to be set, a ton of setbacks in, in life. But like I said, it's all about maintaining perspective, realizing that things aren't really mandatory. If you need to take time off for yourself, you take that time off. Like I graduated early. I earned a 3.9 GPA, but I did not go to class every single time. Did I go to class most of the time? Yes, I did. But I did take time for myself sometimes um, to just relax, to hang out with my girlfriend, to do something else. Um, and then in terms of, just achieving different goals of yours. If, if you suffer a failure, I think it's important to not wallow in, wallow in it for too long in, the, in those feelings of disappointment, those feelings of I'm not good enough because the fact of the matter is you are good enough. Um, perfect is impossible. A lot of the time enough is good enough. That's literally, it's, it's just enough equals enough, right? Um, so if you suffer some type of setback, all you have to do is readjust. You realize, okay, I may not be able to attain this thing that I had all the way up here, but I can change what my goal was at this maximum and lower it a bit to the new highest possible thing that I can achieve. You either have to fight the system that resulted in whatever injustice you think you faced, or you just have to readjust your goals and set it for the new heights that you can now feasibly reach, right? So if you got a 2.0 GPA one quarter and your goal is I can I want to graduate from college with a 4.0 GPA, all you got to do is go on a website to calculate GPA, put in your real statistics, not what you wish you had, but that 2.0 GPA you earned that quarter along with 4.0 GPAs for the rest of the quarters or semesters, whatever system you're on, and see what the highest possible GPA is. If you do everything quote unquote, perfect, even though that doesn't exist, but good from here on out, right? Or better than what you did before. And that GPA may be a 3.5 now. Okay, it's not a 4.0, but the past is the past. There's no point in wallowing in it. You're in the present now. All you can do is move on. So now you aim for that 3.5 and you readjust accordingly, right? Because if a 4.0 is no longer possible, you're not going to sit um, in your shower for five hours being like, man, I didn't. I didn't get that 4.0. Yeah, you didn't get it, but it's okay. Grades aren't everything. Nothing is everything, right? And it's all about prioritizing in the end and that sense of perspective. Right. And so, I mean, that's great advice. And what I would ask you now is if you were to do it all over again, being a freshman, what would you do differently? I want to go to couple. I'm just kidding. Uh, if I were to do it all over again, what would I do differently? Honestly, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I'm a person who doesn't regret anything in life. Have I made mistakes? I've obviously made mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes in life, but I wouldn't change a thing. Um, because from the very start, I knew what I wanted. I took the initiative to do every single thing I wanted. Um, whether it was visiting the Black Academic Excellence Center during the week of welcome before campus even really opened up and just seeing what this space looked like, where I can find it. Um, looking it up later, calling the number because they weren't open, be like, okay, when are your hours? 
and then going there the first day they were open. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd do that all over again. I'd, I'd do it all over again. So same exact way I did it. And what if someone were to say that you're one of a kind and you're special? What would you tell them? I'd say I'm just like everybody else. <laughs> you've done so much. Like, you've worked really hard and you've accomplished so much. And, oh, like, shucks. <laughs> and, like, realistically, like, your goal is to help others. Um, so now, like, maybe you could shout out those who have helped you. Those who have helped me. See, we don't have, we don't have that much time. Otherwise, your podcast episode would never end. Um, but honestly, it's just a thank you to any and everyone I've ever interacted with in my life. Because again, the thing with perspective is every single person I've ever interacted with, even if it was a minor feeling, oh, hey, I noticed that you did that, or I didn't like they did that, could be positive or negative. They've made me the person who I am today. Um, Obviously, I've interacted with some people more than others, but yeah, just a big general thank you to anyone I've ever interacted with in my life. There you go. Shout out to everyone. <laughs> um, cool. So, I mean, thank you for joining us. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. And I know that it's going to affect those who are going through school right now and wanting to achieve more, but need that extra push to, or extra advice to do that. So thank you. No, yeah, of course. Thank you for joining us and hearing this truly inspiring story. Feel free to follow us at First View Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to get previews of our weekly episodes and of our guests. If you're wanting to help out in any way by joining our team, being a podcast guest in the future, or simply wanting to give us feedback, you can always direct message us or click on the link in our bio to learn more. This is Juan Perez, and you're listening to the First View Podcast. I hope you have a great day and come back next week for more amazing minority stories.